0: In 2013, the explorer George Karunis became the first person to willingly descend into the Darvaza Crater. Now, the Darvaza Crater is located in Turkmenistan, and it's over 220 feet in diameter, and it's almost 100 feet deep. So, obviously, it's not its size that makes this crater interesting. It's the fact that it's been on fire for 50 years. Now, the most popular rumor as to how this came to be is that in the 1970s, a group of Soviet scientists were drilling for oil when they stumbled upon a pocket of natural gas underground. And it collapsed, took a drilling rig with it. And in order to keep that gas from spreading, they decided to light the pit on fire and just wait for it to burn out. But it never did burn out. It continues to burn day and night decades later. And George Karunas was the first person to willingly go into it. Now, he did this to collect soil samples. And afterwards, he described the crater for everyone. He said that it's filled with thousands of small flames. He described the noise of them as being as loud as a jet engine. There are two large flames in the center of it. And the heat of it is so intense that he had to wear a special suit made of Kevlar in order to survive while he was inside this this pit. He said that at one point he was digging up some soil and all of a sudden fire started coming out of the hole that he had created. So it may not surprise us that this crater, this, this deep pit continually spewing out fire, has been commonly referred to by people as the door to hell. Perhaps you can understand why some people would call it that. After all, the Bible describes hell as a deep pit and a place of eternal fire. Hell is also described in the Bible as a lake of fire, a place of outer darkness, the abyss, a place of torment, bottomless, a place of eternal destruction away from God's presence. Jesus himself said this in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus said, this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, Scripture indicates that there will be varying degrees of punishment in hell, but it's clear that it will all be terrible nonetheless. Yet, while the Bible speaks often of hell, many Christians do not. That's probably because Hell is a topic that we know offends people. Uh, Many in the world will accept that if hell is real, people like Hitler and Stalin are there, but the idea that they or their loved ones might end up there, well, that's offensive to them. So many times in our fear of hurting feelings, we shy away from mentioning hell even when we share the gospel. So we talk to people about salvation without telling people what they need to be saved from. But if Jesus warns people about hell, shouldn't we? My prayer this morning is that as a church, as we understand hell more, that we would be convicted to share the gospel and that we would be better prepared to warn people of the wrath that is to come if they choose to remain in sin and unbelief. So today we're going to look at a few reasons why hell matters. Why, without it, there would be sin without consequence, a God without goodness and love, and life without freedom. So if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Romans chapter 2. That's what we're gonna be this morning. Romans chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to use one of those Bibles under the chairs in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those Bibles, you can turn to page 912. Page 912, Romans chapter 2. As you turn there, in order to fully grasp what Paul is about to say, let me recap what he wrote in the preceding paragraphs. He had just told these Roman Christians he was writing to that God's wrath is coming on this wicked world because mankind has willingly rejected the evidence of God that's in their hearts, that's all around them. And instead, they crave, pursue, and worship sin. People set up idols in their lives. They indulge in all sorts of sins like sexual immorality and greed, gossip, deceits, all sorts of shameful things. Paul said that because of the willing rejection of God and this choice to love sin, God's wrath will come on them. And then he said this, Romans chapter 2, verse 1. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. let's just stop here for just a second. Again, as I just mentioned, Paul just went through this long list of sins in the world. And for any of those listening to the letter he wrote who might be thinking to themselves, "Yeah, you know what? Those wicked sinners out there in the world, they deserve God's judgment. But not me, because I'm a good person. To anyone like that, Paul says, hey, recognize that you're, you're a sinner too. You also deserve God's wrath. You see, there are primarily two types of people in this life when it comes to sin. There are those who look at their sin and they say, I'm a wretched sinner. I deserve God's wrath. I need God's forgiveness. And then there are those who pass judgment on others while ignoring their own sins. They say, I'm a pretty good person. There are plenty of people worse than me. So my sins really don't matter. In fact, I've talked to many people who are convinced they're not going to hell because they're pretty good people. And there are a lot of people out there that are worse than them. Because often we judge by comparison. And often we think pretty highly of ourselves. But the real question is, how does God judge? Verse 2. Paul said, now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? You see, there are people who think that they're morally superior to others and that because of that, they're not going to face the wrath of hell. But our own perceived goodness doesn't matter. You know, those who persist in sin and unbelief will face God's judgment in hell. And this, this is where people call foul. This is where people say that if God's wrath leads to hell, he must be unloving and unkind and unjust. But in reality, the opposite is true. The first reason for us to see this morning that hell matters. Hell matters because it reveals the perfect character of God. Let me explain what I mean by this. First, hell reveals God's holiness. Now, we judge based on our preferences for sin. We judge based on our own biases, on our feelings. Paul that God judges based on truth, based on the unchanging truth of what is right and wrong. That's because God is holy, which means there's no sin in him. No imperfection, no wrongdoing, no evil to be found. The Bible tells us that God is so holy, he can't tolerate any wrongdoing. But if God were to tolerate or overlook or let any sins go, then he wouldn't be holy or just. No, instead, he'd be exercising improper judgment like we do. You see, we let sins go because we're imperfect. We do wrong things. We're lawbreakers. We justify our wrongdoing. But hell must exist if God is just and holy because there must be consequences for our sins. Hell reveals God's holiness. But still, some people will say hell is harsh. Justice and holiness aside, they'll argue that hell proves God is unloving and unkind They'll say that hell shows a God. He's sadistic. He's hateful. So many people in the world say. Paul said this in verse 4. He said, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? You see, our sin deserves punishment. Because of God's holiness, sin must and will be judged. But because of God's love and goodness, Paul said that God is patient. He waits for us. For us to see our sin, to fall at his feet and to ask him for forgiveness. God must punish sin because he's holy and just. He chooses to offer us forgiveness because he's good and loving. This summer, I was talking to a man who told me that he's, he's a deist, which means that he believes in God, but not a God who's involved in things, and as he put it, certainly not the God of the Bible. So I asked him, why not the God of the Bible? And every reason that he gave me ultimately came back to the subject of how. And his whole argument boiled down to this. He said, you're telling me that my daughter who really hasn't done that many bad things in her life, that God would send her to hell just because she doesn't believe in Jesus. We talked about this for a while together, but he couldn't get past the idea that God would send anyone other than Hitler to hell. And This is generally the argument that the world makes. Really bad people might be in hell, but if God were to send anyone else there, he's unloving, and it's silly that believing in Jesus is how you are saved from that. But even this argument admits that there is a way out, a way to be forgiven, to be set free and to be saved, faith in Jesus. But many individuals like this man I talked to, they just don't like that way out. Jesus is the only answer to salvation from sin and hell. Some people just don't like that answer. But choosing to reject Jesus does not make God the unloving one. In his great love, God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and take the wrath that we deserve. Now there is a free pardon from that penalty of hell that's available through faith in Jesus. But the world scoffs at this. And they scoff at hell. And then they call God unloving. All the while, God patiently waits for them, even those mockers, to turn to him in faith so that he could forgive them. God's holiness demands that hell exists. In his loving goodness, God offers us an escape. But more than this, what I really want us to recognize too as a church is that the existence of hell also points to God's love and goodness. The evangelist Ray Comfort, he explained it this way. He said, Imagine that you are in the court of law. You're on trial. You've committed murder, drug pushing, very serious crimes. And he said, The judge looks at you and says, All the evidence is here. You're guilty. Do you have anything to say before I pass sentence? He said, If you were to say to the judge, Yes, judge, I want to say that I believe you're a good man. And that because of that, I believe that you'll, uh, you'll overlook my crimes. So the judge would probably look at you and say, well, you've got one thing right. I am a good man. And because of my goodness, I'm going to see the justice is done. Because of my goodness, I'm going to see that you're punished for your crimes. And the very thing that sinners are hoping will save them on the day of judgment, the goodness of God, is the very thing that will condemn them. Because if God is good, he must by nature punish murderers, liars, thieves, blasphemers, and sinners. Church, a good and loving God cannot turn a blind eye to sin. I mean, his goodness and love have provided a way for forgiveness, but not a way for sin to be accepted in his sight. In fact, if a judge were to turn a blind eye to a guilty person's crimes, we would rightly call that judge corrupt. And that is the very type of judge this world hopes that God will be. And this is why they're hoping for that. Look at verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. When His righteous judgment will be revealed, God will repay each person according to what they have done. You know, the world tries to slander the character of God when looking at hell instead of looking at their own character. The next reason why hell matters is because of our sin. It's interesting to me how differently we see ourselves as people than how God sees us. We generally see ourselves as, as good people, don't we? I mean, sure, we we lie. <coughs> we steal something small, we cheat on our taxes, we lust in our hearts and minds. We take God's name in vain, we dishonor our parents. We envy and covet what others have. We're selfish, proud, and ungrateful, but we're willing to overlook all these things because we are not murderers. In our minds, we're pretty good. But Romans chapters 1 and 2 reveal that our hearts aren't intrinsically good. No, we're naturally stubborn, unrepentant, which means that we willingly choose to resist God and sin. And that, is why the judgment and wrath of hell is waiting for people. It's because of our sin, the things that we've chosen to chase after. Instead of asking, is hell just? Maybe we should be asking, how bad are our sins? It seems to me that the problem isn't the reality of hell, but our understanding of sin. We tend to see some sins as minor. They're not that bad. Murderers, okay, they're in hell. Well, Liars? Petty thieves, blasphemers, hell seems extreme. In our justification of sin, we've lost sight of the fact that every wrong thing we do, every command of God's that we break, is eternally severe. Jonathan Edwards, the pastor of years past, who famously wrote the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, he once said this. He said, sin against God being a violation of infinite obligations must be a crime infinitely heinous and deserving of infinite punishment. Or as one pastor more recently put it, from the beginning, all sin is a capital offense. See, the problem isn't hell. The problem is our sin. And we clearly don't understand how bad our sin really is. This past week I was trying to explain to my son why something he had just done was wrong because it was unkind. So I asked him, I said, what did you do that was wrong? And he looked at me and he said, not be a good listener. I said, that's true. You were not a good listener. But what did you do that wasn't good listening? And he gave me this really strange look. So I explained to him, as we have on many occasions, that it isn't nice to intentionally push open doors into people because that could hurt them. So I looked at him and said, what do you say to your mom? And he looked at Casey and said, thank you. And I told him, no, no. I said, when we do things like that, we say, sorry. And I understand that he's young. He doesn't understand. Tomorrow he's probably going to do the same thing again. The hope is that as he gets older, he will understand this, and he'll stop doing it. But my point is that just as a toddler fails to understand basic right and wrong, even as adults, we still fail to grasp the gravity of our sins. Even as Christians, we often fail to grasp the weight of our sin against a holy God. Once again, Jonathan Edwards, he said, if we had true spiritual awareness, we wouldn't be amazed at hell's severity, but at our own depravity. Our sin is severe. God must punish it. That's why the only hope we had was for someone to take the punishment for us. But a fellow sinner can't do that because we all have this sin debt to pay that no good works can cover. So the sinless Savior came and died for us. He took all the wrath that we deserve. And now that the wrath of God's law has been satisfied, the opportunity to be pardoned from the penalty of hell is open to us. Hell isn't the problem. Our sin is. And God has provided the way of escape. But unfortunately, many people reject it. Verse 7. Paul said, To those who by persistence in doing good Seek glory, honor, and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Now when Paul talked about those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. He's not talking about salvation by good works. This goes back to what Paul is talking about in chapter 1. In verses 16 and 17, Paul made it clear. He said that the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes And he said that the righteous will live by faith. It's those same individuals he refers to here who believe in Jesus and are characterized by righteous living. They're the ones who see the wretched sinners that they are and they fell on their knees and they went to Jesus Christ for forgiveness and now they live for him. But then he describes those who are self-seeking, who will reject the truth, people who choose to follow evil. See, the third reason why hell matters is because of human freedom. God gives people the freedom to choose whether they will believe in and follow him or whether they will reject him. God doesn't force people to believe in him. He doesn't force people to love him or obey him. And he will not force us into heaven. Because for God to do those things would be unloving and unkind. Instead, God gives us everything that we need to come to an understanding of who he is, and then he lets us decide. Sadly, some stubbornly choose to hold on to sin, to reject God, and then they point their finger at God for the consequence of hell. That's because people want freedom without consequences. Because they want to indulge in sin without paying any penalty for it. But if that were the case, then God wouldn't be holy. In fact, in chapter 1, when Paul described all the sins that the world engages in, he said that God gives people over to these things because they have chosen them. You see, those who go their whole lives choosing to reject God, who hold on tightly to that and say, I don't want Him to be a part of my life, they're going to be granted that. But they will also fail to have God be a part of their eternity. They will be separated from God Forever, if that is what they choose. Like I said earlier, Jesus is the only answer to salvation from sin and hell. Some people, they just don't like that answer. And God gives them the freedom to reject Jesus. C.S. Lewis once said, there are only two kinds of people in the end. There are those who say to God, thy will be done. And then there are those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. Believers, I understand that hell is a sad reality, but it is the reality for our sin. Our goal cannot be to present a palatable God to society's ever-changing taste, but instead to give them the one true God no matter what. Hell is a tough truth, but it's truth nonetheless. It exists. If there's no hell, then that means that there is not a good, loving, just, and holy God. If there is no hell, then that means our sins really don't matter. We can live this life without consequence as long as we don't get caught for the wicked things we do. If there's no hell, then that also means that there is no heaven. Because for us to be free to accept God's gracious gift of salvation, there must also be a place for those who freely choose to reject it. So the truth this morning is this, hell is a serious reality, but so is God's offer of salvation from it, and we need to remember that. Hell is what we deserve for our sin. That's the bad news. The good news is that Jesus died to save us from it, but in order for people to understand the penalty that was paid on their behalf, they first need to recognize that sin debt that they cannot pay off on their own. They need to recognize the penalty that they owe. They need to recognize the wrath that is being stored up. See, they need to hear the bad news so that they can understand the good news. And believers, our mission is to share that with them. We should praise God. He loved us so much, he sent his son. For those of us who have accepted Jesus as our savior, we should praise God the Lord, every day that he rescued our soul. But We should also desperately look for opportunities to share with others how much he wants to save them. Because I'm certain that in all our lives, whether it's friends, family, people that we work with, or people that we see throughout our week, we are surrounded, each of us believers, by those who do not know the Lord. But we are surrounded by people that the Lord loves. People that Jesus Christ came to die for. So let's make it our goal this week to share with someone not just the bad news, but why there is great news in Jesus Christ. And if you are here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, please understand that the Bible makes it very clear that after this life, we will spend an eternity somewhere. We will either spend eternity in the presence of the Lord or an eternity separated from Him in a place called hell. And we all deserve hell because of our sins. We can't make up for our sins. So Jesus Christ came and died, took all the wrath we deserve. And he did that so that we could be set free, so that we could be saved. And friend, if you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, understand that he is the only way we can be saved, the only way we can be forgiven. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And friend, there is no other way. But the choice is yours. And I really hope that you will make the right choice and you will give your life to Jesus Christ. And we want you to have the opportunity to do that now before you leave. Let's pray together. Friend, hell is a a tough but serious truth and reality. And if you have never given your life to Jesus Christ and gone to him for the forgiveness of your sins, please know that you can do that right now because he has been patiently waiting for you. Wherever you are in life, wherever you are joining us today, online, here on campus, you can go to Jesus Christ and admit to him that you know you're a sinner. That you know he died on the cross for you. You believe he didn't stay in the grave, but rose from the dead and ask him for that forgiveness that he's offering. And give him your life. And friend, that prayer that you offer in faith, through that prayer you're going to receive that forgiveness Jesus offers, that salvation that He promises to all who come to Him. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that if there is anyone here who's made that prayer today or has questions today about that, they wouldn't leave this place until they've talked to someone about those questions. That they'd come and find me during this final invitation song here at the front. Did they talk to someone after the service, but Father, for those of us who have made that decision, who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, help us not to shy away from the truths that Your Word teaches. Hell is a tough truth, but it's truth. The good news is that it does not have to be it does not have to be the destiny of those around us, if they will put their faith in Jesus Christ. So help us to desperately go out and look for people we can share the good news of the Gospel with. Help us to do that with grace and love and conviction. Help us to remember that You are good and loving and just and holy. And we thank You for that. Father, I pray that these truths today would stir up in our hearts a burden to share the gospel. I pray that through that you'd be glorified. I pray that you would help us to learn to love others the way that you do, to see them through your eyes. Father, we love you, but you proved long ago when you sent your son to take the wrath for our sins that you love us more. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.